Imagine yourself on the Eurovision stage, ready to take your place and sing the song that you have worked on for months perfecting. And here comes along some random person you've never seen before carrying some kind of sign. Is he a dangerous criminal, some kind of crazed fan? Or perhaps the producer forgot to tell you that this is actually part of the show. On today's episode of ESC 101, we are going to learn about Eurovision's very first stage invader. Let's dive behind the scenes and see what it was all about. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are in the world, and welcome to ESC 101, your home of Eurovision history and obscurity. This is the podcast where we take a look at the Eurovision Song Contest throughout the years to uncover the story behind the world's biggest music show. Welcome to episode three. My name is Alexander, and today we are going to be taking a look at the Eurovision Song Contest in 1964, the infamous contest where the Danish broadcaster lost the footage and Eurovision had its very first stage invader. That's right, Eurovision's first stage invader took place all the way back in 1964. For more modern Eurovision fans, you may remember stage invasions that took place in 2010, 2017, and 2018. But today we're going all the way back to the very first incident to happen on the Eurovision stage. I was honestly quite surprised it took this long to actually have a stage invader go out onto the stage, but I'm also... Not surprised considering that Eurovision first started out as a black tie and ball gown event, so maybe the audience was more well behaved, but even a snappy dress code won't stop activists from getting their message out onto the Eurovision stage. So to start out this episode, here's a little bit of context behind the contest where the first stage invasion took place. The ninth Eurovision Song Contest took place on Saturday, March 21st, 1964 at the Tivolis Concert Hall in Copenhagen, Denmark, after their win the previous year. Sixteen countries took part, with Portugal debuting that year and Sweden withdrawing at the last minute due to a musician's union strike. As mentioned earlier, there's no footage of the contest that exists. There are rumors that there was a fire in the 1970s which destroyed the tape, but there was an interview done with a Danish technician that worked at the contest, and he explained that the Danish broadcaster only actually had four video recording machines at the time, and that they had a number of programs on the roster, some of which the broadcaster felt took higher priority over the Eurovision Song Contest. Kind of sounds blasphemous to say in this day and age, but back in the 1960s, I guess broadcasters would have had higher priorities back then. Two of those machines were used to hold backups of some kind of footage that they held, and the other two machines were used for programs that were reserved for before and after the contest. So with all four machines being taken up, they simply distributed the show live and no one bothered to keep a copy of the show with only the full audio recording, the reprise of the winner, and photographs of the event surviving today. The stage invader got onto the stage just before the Belgian entry, which was song number 15 out of 16. The scene is described as a man going onto the stage holding a banner that said, Boycott Franco and Salazar, referring to Francisco Franco and Antonio de Oliveira Salazar, the then leaders of Spain and Portugal respectively. 
The man was quickly tackled and removed from the stage, handed over to the police, and was fined 5,000 Danish krona, which translates to about 62,000 krona in today's money, worth about 12,000 Canadian dollars, 9,000 US dollars, 8,000 euros, 7,000 pounds, or 14,000 Australian dollars. With Portugal's debut that year and Spain being the last song to perform that evening, it makes sense that this would be the time for the first stage invader to take to the Eurovision stage to make a political statement. The audience naturally became alarmed, and Danish television cameras turned away and showed the scoreboard instead. But there are some rumors that there was a camera that did show the invader and broadcasted it to some of the countries. And we do have photos of the stage invader, which you can see on the show notes available on our website, esc101podcast.wordpress.com, where you can check out the notes, links, and the various photos for this episode. Link to the website is also available on our Instagram page and in the episode description. So the details that I found about the stage invader are found in a book written in 2013 called Empire of Song, Europe and Nation in the Eurovision Song Contest. The author describes the protester as a young cartoonist and illustrator who was a member of a group known as Group 61. Group 61 was a splinter group formed in 1961, very creative naming by the way, consisting of young activists from the Socialist People's Party in Denmark. The party itself was founded two years earlier after the leader of the Communist Party of Denmark, Axel Larsson, was removed due to his criticism over the Soviet intervention in the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. In 1960, just one year after the party's founding, the Socialist People's Party held seats in Parliament and became involved in the peace movement opposing nuclear weapons and power. In a newsletter called The World Outlook, which was published about a month after the song contest took place, it describes the weekend surrounding the contest itself. The day before the contest, protesters picketed the Hotel Richmond, shouting slogans at the guests. The hotel staged some kind of Spanish festival, which the newsletter depicts as a celebration of the 25th anniversary of the end of the Spanish Civil War and the victory of Francisco Franco's regime. They describe cars driving up to the entrance and chanting growing louder as more cars came in with phrases like down with Franco and call off the fascist festival being shouted. As demonstrators tried to enter the hotel and distribute leaflets, police officers carried them away across the street. And part of that demonstration was Group 61, which is described in the newsletter as an activist organization. And the newsletter actually notes the stage invasion in that weekend, which described the scene as a young man evaded heavy police guards walking onto the set and unfurled a banner that read boycott Franco and Salazar. Plainclothes cops placed all over the hall prevented any further actions. The Danish TV had been warned of the planned demonstration and had taken all possible precautions, including the extraordinary police turnout, but the young anti-fascist nevertheless succeeded in getting through to the TV cameras. And following the contest, demonstrations continued, targeting the reactionary policies of the Danish government, which eventually led to the White Sun March, which was spearheaded by a Protestant clergyman in protest of capitalism, NATO, and the monarchy. These protests also aligned with the anniversary of Salazar's regime, making it a tense time for protesters of Spain and Portugal's governments alongside with Portugal's entry into the Eurovision Song Contest for the first time. In the Empire of Song book that I mentioned earlier, the authors tell us that Group 61 threatened to bomb the Tivoli Concert Hall, demanding Portugal's exclusion from the contest. 
The heightened security prevented the attack, but the fact that a protester managed to get onto the stage is a huge oversight on the part of security. Had the protester actually been deranged enough, he could have seriously harmed a lot of people, but thankfully all he carried was a banner and a message. Newspaper coverage of the stage invasion was pretty prevalent, but it was a little bit sparse. A report in the Luxembourger Wart newspaper from the day after the contest noted that there was a Dane of about 30 suddenly falling onto the stage. He carried a sign calling for the boycott and wanting to broadcast his catchphrase to all affiliated stations via the microphone. A report in the La Stampa newspaper from Italy talked about something similar, where a Danish demonstrator managed to get onto the stage. And a report in the Norwegian newspaper Fremtiden noted that a man came through a back door and displayed a large sign. It was quickly overpowered by the guards and handed over to police, and the newspaper notes the protesters' affiliation to Group 61, where they describe the group as a left-wing organization which campaigns against nuclear weapons and neo-fascism. Since it was formed three years ago, it has been very active. And it also describes the protester as a 30-year-old man. So it's important to note that I'm not an expert in researching foreign language newspapers from the 1960s, and I'm sure that there are other articles mentioning the incident, but these were the three that I could easily access in the research that I could do for this episode. And suffice to say, this incident did make it into newspapers across Europe, but the reporting of it was kind of largely ignored and very sparse. Which is a bit of a shame because during this time in Denmark, there was a huge activist movement growing that worked to protest lots of various things, including Spain and Portugal's governmental regimes. And this movement in Denmark was part of a larger growing movement across Europe in the 1960s with the rise of counterculture and Cold War attitudes of political life in Europe with East and West being divided against itself and regimes in Spain and Portugal being solely challenged, left-wing activists saw the power of mass media and pop culture, and especially with the power of television, with millions of people watching more and more. They saw it as a tool to promote the political struggles of not just Danish people, but people around the world. This highlights the level of internationalism that these movements had. People, like in Group 61 really highlighted a new reality emerging in the 1960s. Politics and culture were no longer defined by land borders or language, but rather people protested about various things all over the world, of illiberal regimes and Cold War politics, and that gave way to movements especially in 1968, where protests in Paris and throughout France had students and workers occupying various spaces. Eurovision's first stage invasion was rooted in the rising tensions of oppressive governments operating alongside the emergence of the Cold War, with activists working to bring awareness to oppressive regimes, hoping to inspire change in regimes which were, in their eyes, problematic to the ideas of a free Europe. With Portugal's debut in 1964 and Spain's continued presence in the contest, the activists from Group 61 must have felt compelled to protest Franco and Salazar, especially during a time of increasing activism from the left. And to give you context behind Franco and Salazar, these two individuals ruled their respective countries with an iron fist. Francisco Franco was a Spanish general who led the nationalist forces in overthrowing the Second Spanish Republic during the Civil War, ruling over Spain from 1935 to 1975. He ruled over Spain with nearly complete unchecked power, where he ruled almost entirely by decree. 
and Antonio de Oliveira Salazar was a Portuguese politician who served as Prime Minister of Portugal from 1932 until 1968, and alongside his successor Marcelo Canto, ruled Portugal under the corporatist Estado Novo, or New State. His regime exercised vast political powers using censorship and secret police to quell oppression. And so that's the story of Eurovision's first stage invader. It was an example of political activism seeing the value of the Eurovision Song Contest as a program that was broadcasted to multiple countries with millions of citizens watching. The opportunity to spread your message to 16 different countries simultaneously was too much to resist, and one activist managed to do it. His protest, along with many others in the 1960s, eventually led to the downfall of both Franco and Salazar's regimes, and eventually led to the Europe that we know today. It's an example of how the Eurovision Song Contest, even in its early years, represented more than just a simple singing competition. It represented a platform to be used, legitimately or otherwise, to promote the stories and cultures of multiple countries and the problematic realities that came along with it. And now that we've gone through the story of Europe's first stage invader, let's turn our attention to some Eurovision news. It's time for the Eurovision Report. Cyprus's selection of its Eurovision entrant for 2024 has been met with controversy over its selection method. The Cypriot broadcaster CYBC confirmed in May that it would be using the talent show Fame Story to select their entrant for the Eurovision Song Contest in 2024. Initial details revealed that auditions would take place during the summer, and the show would be scheduled to run during the fall. The show would feature development and progress of 16 artists who would run through elimination periods until a winner remained. However, the Greek broadcaster ERT sent a letter to the EBU stating that the Cypriot broadcaster was violating their exclusive rights to the show, especially in its use as a national selection. The EBU reached out to CYBC and ERT, which resulted in the EBU expanding the rules around national selections. In a statement to the Peron newspaper, the EBU stated, the organization of the national selection of each EBU member must not violate the exclusivity of the rights of the participants of the other participating broadcasters of the other countries. Each national selection of a representative for Eurovision should be undertaken and organized under the exclusive control of each participating broadcaster. The organization and production may not be subcontracted except with the prior approval of the EBU. The national selections must be organized and televised nationally in the participating broadcaster's country and on the participating broadcaster's own EBU member channel. In response to the new rules, the Cypriot broadcaster announced it would host an alternative national selection in Nicosia and would air it in January through IRK. This, however, was closely followed by a change of plans in which IRK wrote to the EBU stating that they would be choosing their entrant for the Eurovision Song Contest internally. Portions of the story were reported by Konstantinos Nikolos Zakos of Eurovision Fun, Dimitrios Argiopoulos of Eurovision Fun, and Timothy Holdiness of ESC Extra. This has been the Eurovision Report.
And so after hearing some Eurovision news, it is time for Song of the Week. This is the segment of the show where I explore an entry in the Eurovision Song Contest that I find interesting or fascinating, or maybe it's terrible and I need to rant on about it. But this week's song is definitely one that I've enjoyed. So let's learn more about this week's Song of the Week. This week's Song of the Week is the entry for Monaco in 1962. The title is Dis Rien, translated as Say Nothing, sung by François de Gaulle, composer Henry Salvador, lyricist René Rousseau, conducted by Raymond Lefebvre. It came second in 1962 with 13 points, three points from Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and Spain, two points from Norway, and one point from France and Germany. Some of the lyrics that was translated by Tamar Lickman on the Digilu Thrush website read as follows. Say nothing. Words are silly. For someone who isn't a poet, there are bubbles that blow the words. It kills the dreams. So this song talks about the idea that expressing love shouldn't be done through words. Words are something that are easy to say, easy to come up with, and can sometimes hold little value, especially for someone who might not be an honest character. Rather, the singer is encouraging the listener to express love through their actions and their sacrifices, saying that love between two people needs to go beyond words. And when you reflect upon the expressions of love through action and sacrifice, this song really is a beautiful example of how people can take their love to a whole new level by bringing a level of authenticity and beauty to the relationship that people hold in their lives. And of course, the singer does it very charismatically. He looks into the camera very longingly and is quite handsome and charming and I think brought a lot of good class to the Eurovision Song Contest. And so for that reason, Dilien is my song of the week. Now we know the story of Eurovision's first stage invader. It's fascinating to see how motivated some people are in progressing their causes and how the Eurovision stage is such a captivating medium to do so. While artists integrate political messaging into their songs, gently or otherwise, there are some passionate people who go beyond the confines of the contest to spread their message. Of course, not every stage invader carries a positive or progressive message, and I plan to cover other stage invaders in future episodes, so be sure to stay tuned for that. If you have any comments, thoughts, or ideas you'd like to share with us, you can get in touch on Instagram at ESC11podcast, or you can send an email to esc101podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out the show notes on our website if you'd like to see some photos or if you'd like to read the sources used in this episode for yourself. You can find us at www.esc101podcast.wordpress.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Next week, we're going to be launching a monthly series called the Eurovision Travel Guide, where we take a look at a country that has participated in the Eurovision Song Contest. Our first country in the Eurovision Travel Guide will be Israel, so be sure to stay tuned for that. You have been listening to ESC 101. See you next time. (laughs) 